What is going on, Mets Legends Faithful? This is Rob Pearsall, joined as always by my lovely and handsome co-host, Alex Carigliano Michelli. Alex, how are you doing on this damp New York Wednesday? Is today Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. How are you doing on this damp New York Wednesday? And also, Alex, what is your favorite plant of all time? You and you and these questions. Uh, all right. Well, I'm doing pretty well on this damp Wednesday. I've busted out my turtleneck sweater, which is my favorite, probably my favorite shirt that I have. So it's nice to be wearing this again. My comfy sweats. So I'm pretty. I'm doing pretty well on this on this damp Wednesday. Uh, obviously, this recording will come out afterwards. But for those who listen, um, happy Yom Kippur. I don't really know what the proper thing is to say, but I respect and honor you. And and I know this is the high holiday, so very. Very cool. Doing well. Favorite plant? Probably that bad boy in the corner. Uh, now, the listeners can't see it, but I'm pointing at a beautiful fig tree, a potted fig tree. It's this tropical-ass plant. It's next to my couch in the corner, really looking beautiful, kind of hanging over. My dog is sleeping on the couch, looking um, very sleepy. There's a, there's a carrot shoved through his toy in front of him. Uh, for those who don't know, Samson, he loves carrots, so... He's just got everything he needs. I'm doing really well. I'm in good spirits. Uh, Rob, I think you're in good spirits too. And I think this is a good way to start off because quite the contrast from how we were feeling on Monday. Yeah, Monday was one of those days. Uh, you guys are just catching up, obviously. If you're listening to this, you probably know the events that transpired. I don't know why I said it like that. Transpired over the weekend. Mets going into Atlanta, really just needing to win one game out of the three-game set. Most Mets fans, I think, would feel pretty confident behind Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Chris Bassett, their top three starters. And the Mets came away with zero wins. And so that made their path to the NL East title that much trickier because going into the final three-game set of the series, the Mets were playing the Nationals, yes, but the Braves were facing the Marlins, who – actually ended up giving them a little bit of a run for their money. The Braves lost two out of three and narrowly held on to win yesterday, which was Tuesday when they clinched the National League East. So the Mets did sweep the Nationals, and the Mets and the Braves did finish with the same record this season, 101-61. and However, the Braves beat the Mets in the season series 10 games to 9, and so the Braves will have the NL East locked down and will earn a bye in the first round of the playoffs which starts for them next week. For the Mets, that means that it'll start this weekend against the San Diego Padres on Friday. MLB announced the game times. The Mets will be on ESPN, and they will have the late slot. So they will, I think, I think believe they're playing at 7.30 all three nights, maybe 8 o'clock, but they're going to have the late, the late slot. So I think that, Alex, this – the Mets sweeping the Nationals to kind of top off this really magical season. And don't let anybody get it twisted. This was a magical Mets season. 101 wins, the second most in franchise history, a combined no-hitter, a huge comeback against the Philadelphia Phillies in Philadelphia in the ninth inning back in May when they came down, when they came back when they were down six runs, seven runs. Uh, that g- crazy game in St. Louis, Eduardo Escobar hitting for the cycle. Eduardo Escobar driving in all five runs last week. Uh, all the all-stars they had this year. Edwin Diaz's dominance. Just there were so many, so many great moments. And I think it's kind of hard when they did lose that 
key series to the Braves where Monday rolled around and it almost felt like someone died. You know, it was one of those things where, and it was such a gloomy day in New York too, just a wet, gloomy day. The Mets were rained out that night. So you kind of had to sit with this, this misery of, you know, the Mets almost went coast to coast this year in the NL East and didn't end up winning. And so you had to kind of sit with that where now the, the playoff uh, picture is a little bit tougher. And so I think it's hard to remember that when you're kind of stuck in those moments, but the Mets are in the playoffs and that's, what's important. No matter how much it stinks that they didn't win the national league East and their path is a little bit tougher. Now the Mets are in the the postseason for the first time since 2016. And they will actually get a chance to play more than just one game, which they did in 2016. So the Padres are coming into town. It's not going to be an easy battle. I think a lot of Mets fans are kind of thinking, all right, whatever, we got to play these three games, then we're going to play the Dodgers. You still got to beat the Padres. You still got to beat them. And they're going to run out a lot of really good talent this weekend. You have Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, and you Darvish, who are all going to be pitching against the Mets at City Field. Hopefully the Mets will get a day off tomorrow. They could kind of regroup after the season, decompress a bit, come back Friday, and they're going to be playing in front of a really energized field, Alex. So do you think that that will give them a little bit of an advantage? And do you think that the Mets sweeping the Nationals kind of alleviated some of that misery from when they got swept by the Braves this past weekend, even if it was just for their own morale? Oh, Rob, 100%. 100%. You know, I, I went on, I went in, I'm a teacher, I've, I've said this before, but I went into my Bronx school on Monday. I usually wear a lot of Mets gear while I'm in the, while I'm in the building. And I just went in feeling completely dejected. I made sure to not wear any Mets gear that day. I wore dark colors. I was, I was in a period of mourning. People coming up to me, oh, I'd ask you how good your weekend was, but um, I know it wasn't really that great, huh? What happened to those Mets? And just had a lot of really poor, dejected feelings that Monday rolled around. And, you know, this national sweep, I think, was huge. I think it had to be a sweep because any other loss, you know, everything's so magnified in New York. New York media goes crazy. Us fans are impatient. We go crazy. You know, I know there's a lot of types that are like my dad where you could go three weeks without watching a game where in those three weeks they could, you know, be on a complete winning streak. And then you tune into the one game where they lose and their best player has an over four night. And a lot of Met fans in this town, will, like my dad, will see that one over four night and that loss. Like, this guy sucks. And meanwhile, they're an MVP candidate. But that's just how New York is. So this sweep, I think, was essential. And not just the fact that it was a sweep, but it was such a a commanding sweep. The fact that after that first um, game in the doubleheader where we won four to two with um, huge contributions from Brandon Nimmo having a three RBI game, the fact that we came out on that second game with three straight home runs, another one from, uh, from Nimmo who then later in the inning closed off the first inning with another two RBI shot that, gave him three RBIs again in just the uh, first inning. That that did a lot to, I think, alleviate the mood. I think having this one day off, giving our veterans a bit of a break, but not too long of a break, that let everyone kind of sit in these good feelings and reset without having too long of a break going into this wild card series, I think it's going to be really good. I think, I don't know, this is just a hunch, but I really think this gives us the a time to stay hot 
for our hitters to continue to get going. I think this series was really important for Francisco Alvarez and Vientos to start to get going. Alvarez actually witnessed, I was at the game yesterday, the doubleheader, the Brock at the Park, and I was getting ready to leave. And then after the fifth inning, because it was cold, you know, we were already winning. I was getting ready to leave. And then I heard, coming up to bat, Francisco Alvarez. And I said, Alvarez is going to bat? And then um, I'd already saw that he was catching before that. And I said, I just, I just knew it, you know? I looked at my wife and, uh, and Samson, who was with us. I said, we, we have to go see this. We have to go see this because I don't want to leave and find out that I missed his first home run. And we ran over to um, to some section, like section like one like 108 or something. No, closer to, the, closer to that, um, near home plate. And sure enough, watched the rocket off of his bat. We all went crazy. And I think we needed that. I think this game especially, too, the way we just pounded them, especially because it was against Fetty, who really beat us in the 7-1 to um, Nationals victory the last time we saw them. I think this is good. And I also, I also believe that this long layoff for the Braves, who have been so hot, I think they've been riding this streak, especially on like some of their younger guys. And I, 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 I'm imagining a world where this layoff for them allows them to cool off and they actually come in cold. I don't know. That's, that's how I'm feeling, Rob. How do you feel? So I know I'm late to this because I came out in 2020 and that's obviously two years ago, but I didn't watch it until now. But excuse me. I just watched The Last Dance. I don't know if you've seen it, Alex. Alex has seen it. Ten episodes I finished, I think, in two days. I watched The Last Dance. And I kind of went into it on a whim. Heard it was really great. Not a huge basketball fan. I like it. I I always liked playing it. I don't follow the NBA. Michael Jordan was a little bit before my time. But I watched it, and I got to tell you, I just have so much respect for Michael Jordan just an insatiable desire to be the best. He knew he was the best. He bought into that about himself and he went out there and he proved it and he really was the best. But what really stuck out to me, and I watched this Monday night. So it's a day after the Mets lost to the Braves, got swept and feeling down in the dumps and wondering how I'm going to get through a cold winter with no baseball and kind of having to sit with the Mets losing to the Braves not even really thinking about the playoffs. Now I think I can kind of enjoy the fact that the Mets are in the playoffs, but Sunday, Monday, I was just like, I don't even care. The Mets are playing the wild card series. They shouldn't even have to deal with this, but you know what? I'm excited now. I think that this series, the Mets sweeping the nationals has people excited again for the postseason, which they really needed. I think that if the Mets had gotten like their asses kicked by the nationals this week, it would have been a miserable time at city field this weekend. But now it's, I think the spirits are a little bit high again. But not to get off track, Michael Jordan, when he came up, the Bulls absolutely sucked. And he was kind of the glimmer of hope for that franchise. And he quickly showed up to to the Bulls and was easily the best player. And over his time there, he, he brought them to the promised land. But it didn't come without, you know, its hiccups. I mean, the, the Pistons were a very good team at that point. And the Pistons beat the hell out of the Cubs, uh, the, the Bulls. But same city, you know, they beat the hell out of the Bulls. And what did Michael Jordan do and the Bulls do instead of going home after they got beat the second or third time by them? They practiced and they got stronger and they they hit the gym and they took it as fuel for the fire. 
And they came back the next year and they beat the Pistons. And so to me, I was like, the Mets last year were really bad. They won 77 games. And this year they turned around and they were a 20, it was a 24 game improvement to win 101 games. And so even if this Mets season ends with the Padres this weekend, if it ends with the Dodgers next week, whatever it is, I have no faith the Mets are going to be back because they have an owner that wants to spend money on this team, who wants the team to win, who's been a winner his whole life, and he wants the Mets to win. That was the reason he bought the team. Obviously, it's a business endeavor, but he's a guy who's not like the Wilpons. He actually is going to infuse money into this team, and I have no doubt that the Mets, if they don't win this postseason, you're going to have guys next year, even with all the turnover of guys that are free agents like Brandon Nemo, Edwin Diaz, DeGrom, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, you know, the whole bullpen, essentially. Even if you have a lot of turnover coming into next year, you're going to have your Scherzers, who we know is a fiery competitor. Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and then Francisco Alvarez, and, and all these guys who they're going to want more. They're going to be hungry. And so it kind of was this thing where it made me feel a little bit better, where I was like, whatever happens this year, you know, I think the Mets are going to be back. And so it was really good that I ended up watching it at that point. And I think it made me, it made me kind of just realize like even Michael Jordan's bulls didn't, you know, they had to really go through hell to win and it doesn't come just so easy. The Bray and, and it was such a perfect parallel, right. Of like the Pistons beating the shit out of the bulls for all those years. Right. The Braves have won the, the NL East the last five years. The Mets are kind of the new kid on the block now, right? They weren't a threat the last few years. They haven't been a threat since 2015, 2016, really. They're coming up again. The Braves have been there already. They've won the World Series last year. They know what to expect. They're going to really hit you where your flaws are, and that's what the story is. The, the fact that they finished with the same record as the Mets this year is quite incredible, that the Mets were able to turn around from last year, and they were able to be this good. And so it's easy to kind of look at the negatives, but you kind of look at the positives as well. And I guarantee you, whenever the Mets play the, the Braves again, whether it's in the postseason this year, which would really be some poetic justice if they could beat them then, but if they play them next year, they're going to be they're going to be hungry. You know, they're going to want to be beating the Braves. And I really hope that they kind of take that what happened to them this past weekend and they really try to turn that into we're going to beat these guys one day. So, anyways, I'm a little long winded story, but I kind of felt that it was a good parallel for me to kind of compare it to. So, And I really like that you brought up the last dance with that too and Michael Jordan. I think that even – and it puts a good spin on what could happen in this postseason because it does feel like a World Series or bust type of season when you think about the expectations that we had once we hit the summer and the Mets were really in their stride. When you think about DeGrom, the all-in moves on bringing in Scherzer, getting – Canna and Escobar and Marte in the offseason. I mean, just like the feelings that we were running off of, bringing in Showalter, it really felt like do or die. And then so the fact that we came up short with the uh, division really had a chance to deflate us, but I don't think it's ending today. The uh, The Dodgers, you know, we're, we're trying to model ourselves after the Dodgers. We want to have that sustained thing of success. Steve Cohen said he wants us to be the Dodgers of the East. Well, guess what? In all these years, in these 10 straight years of the Dodgers winning the division and just being an all-around excellent team, hitting 100 wins multiple times, 
the Dodgers have only won one World Series, and it was in a it was in a fake season too. It was in a fake season. Not to take anything away from them, they still played. You know, it was still all the same competition. But that's it. So it's okay for us to come up short this time around. I think um, it's an opportunity for the Mets to cut their teeth. You know, these guys don't have playoff experience. I saw that uh, Gary Keith and well, not Keith, but Gary and Ron were talking about it. Terrence Gore with this three home run, three home run, never, never him, not that little guy. Uh, Terrence Gore with his three rings has more rings than the rest of the Mets combined. The rest of the Mets combined. So there's little playoff experience. So I really think that this could be an opportunity for like, you know, the early goings of this Dodgers run. It could also be like the the Royals in 2014. You know, they went in, they, they came so close to victory against the Giants, and then they came in the next year. People still didn't take them seriously because they're the Royals, and then they whooped the Mets' ass in the in the World Series. And I think that we could have something like that, except it will be sustained. Yeah, and what you were talking about with Terrence Gore, I, I didn't realize that he had more rings than the entire team combined. But if you think about it, there's been guys that have been in the, been the World Series. I mean, DeGrom, obviously, he's the one holdover from 2015. You have Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor, who played in 2016 with the with the Cleveland Guardians against the Chicago Cubs when the Cubs won the when they broke their drought, and obviously Scherzer. Well, Scherzer has a ring too. Yeah, he he's he's the only other person with the ring besides Gore, I guess. So yeah, sure. And Scherzer won with the Nationals. He has a plethora of postseason experience, but yeah, I mean this team, and I think that's what I'm talking about. Like Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil. A lot of these guys, even Brandon Nimmo, he was he played on the 2016 Mets, and if the Mets made it to the NLDS, he was going to be on the roster, but he was not a part of the wild card roster. So a lot of these guys are hungry, and but they're 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 also fresh. That this is uncharted territory for them. So yeah, I think that whatever happens this year, I think that next year, if anything, this is character building for the Mets, and I think that's what it needs to be looked at. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the recency of it. Because it hurts because you're a fan and you want them to win. And the Mets had such a good year. And to kind of have that first place stripped away from them hurts a lot. And we've been hurt as a fan base so many times. But I think that this is not an isolated event like it had been so many times with the Wilpons, where the top-heavy rosters that were created by them magically made it together, but it was unsustainable. This time it actually feels like, all right, we have the, the resources to go out there and get the players that are needed for a successful team. So whatever the Mets do this, this winter, I think will be very important because there's going to be a lot of turnover, but I think that there's a level of faith there that I didn't necessarily have with the Will Ponds. But enough of this, hey, what happens if we lose? It's okay, we carry on. The Mets are still entering the playoffs and they start officially on Friday. So right now we're talking about winning because at the end of the day the goal still is a world series so let's talk this uh it's been announced that scherzer uh even though Degrom was slated for today's spot in the rotation it's been announced that scherzer is going to be that game one probable starter and that their plan is to not use Degrom in the wild card series if they don't have to if scherzer wins game one and we're speaking this up right we're talking this into existence if scherzer wins game one the plan is to go bassett game two and get that two-game sweep. And that way you could um, save DeGrom for game one of the division series, and he could pitch twice. Now, 
if they lose game one, then you're bringing in DeGrom to pitch game two because it is an elimination game. We have to keep it going. But that is the plan. Sure's a game one. And if all goes well, Bassett game two, save DeGrom for the division series. And actually, before we continue, I do have to ask a, a question, Rob. So is it guaranteed that if we advance, we play the Dodgers because uh, of seeding? Because us being the four seed, let's just say we win. And then in the other wild card matchup, the Cardinals don't beat the um, the Phillies. And then the Phillies advance. Would they be playing the Dodgers instead of the lowest seed? And then we would get the Braves? Or is it no matter what, we're locked in against the Dodgers? Yeah, unfortunately, no matter what happens, the Mets are locked in against the Dodgers if they are to beat the Padres. Um, which obviously presents a lot of difficulty because the Dodgers are a good team. It doesn't matter what happened to the regular season, obviously, but the Mets did win the season series against the Dodgers this year. Baseball is a very weird sport. Um, so it would be the Dodgers. Uh, also, you know, we, before we get too off track, Jeff McNeil won the batting title, and we didn't talk about that at all. Jeff McNeil finished the regular season with the 326 batting average. Freddie Freeman... For the Dodgers, today on Wednesday, had a couple hits. Gave McNeil a bit of his run for his money. But McNeil came out on top. Second Met of all time. Won't mention the Met that had the previous batting title. Uh, name redacted. Doesn't count in my book as a person. So uh, a former Met did win the batting title, but Jeff McNeil wins for the first time in 11 years. And so what a, what an excellent season for McNeil. We are talking, me and Alex were talking about it a little bit before the podcast, but McNeil, a lot of people wanted traded this winter. They just gave up on him and they wanted him out. And the recency bias really kicked in. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, the guy has a 300 batting average for his career. 300, obviously, batting average rather, is, is obviously not the be-all, end-all. But the guy has hit his whole career. And it seems silly to me to kind of just give up on someone like that. And all he did this year was turn around. He put up nearly six wins above replacement, provided strong defense all around the diamond for the Mets, played 147 games. I think he had nine home runs. He had a, a 326 batting average, 382 on base, 454 slugging. You know, the guy was a doubles machine. I, I don't know if he had did – he, did he hit a double last night? Alex. Okay, so he finished with 39 doubles, he which is great. I mean, the guy had nine home runs, but he was an extra base hitter. And so McNeil is such a crucial part to this team, and he's a guy that you need if you're going to be a successful team. And so just really congratulations to Jeff McNeil. Um, but now, obviously, we have the playoffs to focus on a big question. And I think one of the, the only unresolved issues is besides Starling Marte, who's still out, doesn't look like he's going to play in the wild card round is who is going to be that right-handed DH type player at the trade deadline and leading up to it. The Mets acquired Dan Vogel back from the pirates. They acquired Darren Ruff from the giants. And those were the guys. The idea was to have them be a tandem for the rest of the season Darren Ruff went on the injured list with a lot of people speculate was a phantom injury, but let's say it wasn't. He had some neck pain. Buck Showalter said he, he is an option for Friday. He could be on the wild card roster, but he's a guy who really hasn't proven that he can be effective in a New York Mets uniform. 
maybe that layoff that he had being out the last several days was a time to clear his head. You have a day off tomorrow, then you come into Friday, you have a little bit of a clean slate. But the other options are Francisco Alvarez, who was called up over the weekend right before the Braves series, and he had a home run on Tuesday night. He caught the entire game on Wednesday, and he's someone who is a big part of the future but could be a part of the present right now too. And you have Mark Vientos, who hasn't really looked great but does have power and is a guy who had a really good minor league season. So, Alex, what are your thoughts on those options, and what do you think the Mets should do in that in this scenario of who they should carry as that right-handed bat off the bench or as a DH? I mean, this is this is the question that's facing us right now. It's it's and it's really interesting to me because I think at, at this point you have to ride the lone hot bat, which would be Alvarez, right? If we need a right-handed DH, why not have have Alvarez? I definitely want to spitball a lot of options because I don't want us to be locked in. And I think Buck Showalter likes flexibility in his lineup, even though we do like to practice a bit of like a rigid lineup. Everyone has their place. But I do want to talk about the fact that Alvarez just spent the last one and a half games. He came in in the sixth inning uh, to catch yesterday, but he just spent the last one and a half games as catcher. And that was definitely what I was preaching for them to do if they were eliminated early, is just get Alvarez out there and see how he does because they were really worried about his catching ability. And so they brought him up as a DH. And I definitely think for a lot of these guys who have a position in the minor leagues, it's really hard for them to just suddenly be put in as a DH in the bigs where in those half innings where they're not batting, they're sitting and it's not really like a comfortable thing for them. So I think it, I don't think it's a coincidence that he got his first home run and is, uh, and then after that, a double while being the catcher. And so I think it's definitely something to, to wonder. And I don't think they will against like the more veteran guys, especially someone like Bassett. I imagine he's kind of hard to catch because he has so many, so much different stuff, but Alvarez technically has experience catching Scherzer and DeGrom during hit during their rehab stints in the minors. And I definitely would, I don't think it'll happen, but you never know. And I think they want to have the best lineup out there and McCann had a good day today, but I wonder if you have Alvarez as a catcher, but he's definitely your right-handed DH, but I think the best possible lineup, the best possible lineup is probably Alvarez as a catcher. And this is probably against left-handed uh, pitchers, so like a like a Blake Snell. If you want to load up against Blake Snell, you could have Alvarez as the catcher and then put in Vientos as the DH. I think that would be really something to look for. Uh, but another one, and, and humor me on this, Rob, but, you know, I think McCann has looked pretty solid when he's been at first base. And technically, if you look at our numbers, the most successful right-handed DH we have this season is Pete Alonso. Rob, am I crazy? Or should we have uh, James McCann starting in the postseason as our first baseman with Pete Alonso as our right-handed DH and Alvarez behind the dish? Am I crazy for this? Alex, I cannot, I simply cannot entertain this notion of James McCann so much as being on the postseason roster. I think James McCann 
your time's up, buddy. That's it. He had a your swan song is a Met was on Wednesday. You hit a home run. You had a couple hits. That's it. Obviously, James McCann is going to be on the postseason roster, which makes it a little bit more difficult for Alvarez to be there. I think because Alvarez is a catcher, and that's it. Darren Ruff, obviously, out of the three, gives you the most versatility because he can play right field and he could slot in at first base. So that's what the Mets are going to have to think about. Uh, James McCann, it, I mean, if I had to choose, it would probably be Tomas Nito and Francisco Alvarez as the tandem. The only thing is it's Alvarez was called up so late in the season. McCann probably has a little bit of a better grip on this pitching staff, and you're going into the postseason Alvarez is 20 years old, which we really shouldn't forget here. So he might be on the roster. I mean, we'll see what happens. I I think that he's kind of your wild card, not a pun or anything like that, but he kind of is a guy who he's the top prospect in all of baseball. Teams are not going to have the scouting on him because he's so new. So he's kind of that guy who, I don't know, maybe he gets a hold of a couple pitches. Maybe he's going to be energized. Maybe he's going to be a little wide-eyed because he's here that is not going to affect him that he's going to be in the postseason, but also he is 20. You don't want to ruin this kid's confidence. So there is that, there is that issue with Vientos and with Francisco Alvarez. Another thing with Darren Ruff is that I believe that he has been successful against, I want to say Blake Snell in his career, either Blake Snell or you Darvish. One of the two he's been successful against probably Blake Snell because Blake Snell's a lefty and you Darvish is a righty. So I believe it's Blake Snell that he's been successful against. So if I was a betting Darren Ruff, yeah, Darren Ruff. Um, but if I was so if I was a betting man, I would say that Darren Ruff is probably going to get that last slot, and then maybe for the NLDS you kind of shake it up if if Ruff if Ruff really stinks. But we'll see what happens. I mean, that's definitely something that we're going to find out. I believe that the rosters need to be set by the afternoon or maybe 10 a.m. I think it's before the games, 10 a.m. on Friday. So we'll find out within, you know, in less than a day or right about a day, obviously not less than a day in about a day. So, um, but yeah, obviously it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a great thing to see the Mets in the postseason, And I'm really excited, Alex. All right. I want to, I want to pose this lineup to you. All right. So let's say we, we were facing Blake Snell in game two. Leading off is Nimmo, obviously. Number two is Lindor. Number three, McNeil. He's looked really good in the three-hole. I like him there a lot. Number four, Alonzo. Number five, Escobar. Number six, starting catcher, Francisco Alvarez. Number seven, Marcana. Number eight, Vientos. And number nine, Guillaume as our second baseman. You have two lefties um, in total in that lineup, and Nimmo and Guillaume. Maybe, maybe you you move Guillaume to the eight slot and move Vientos nine. That way, you separate having uh, two lefties back to back in Nimmo and Guillaume, and plus have a little bit of pop like at the very bottom of that order with Vientos. That could be very interesting, especially because Guillaume. I feel like he gets talked about as a <laughs> as a hole in our lineup a lot recently as being like the defensive guy but he's i mean he has like a 270 batting average this year that's that's first of all that's actually well above the major league average right now so you really have to keep that in mind he's not a hole in our lineup but i mean that's that's a lineup those are some guys and i do definitely want to entertain that idea of darren ruff um he does i think he i think that was you're right about that i think he does have good experience 
against Snell, especially against the Padres. We didn't have him, I think, on our team yet when we played the Padres. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think he was there yet. And he obviously has extensive history playing in the same division as the Padres before. And he could be, you know, he, he's supposed to be a plus. I mean, he's supposed to be that guy against lefties. And who knows? Maybe this this uh, this mysterious neck injury that he suddenly had that put him on the IL, maybe it's legit. Maybe he had something bothering him. Maybe he slept on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he fell asleep on that long flight from San Francisco to New York and really just, like, couldn't get comfortable with his neck. He left his main mattress at home, and he's sleeping on a different mattress. and didn't have his right pillow, and he was just off this whole time. And so maybe with these few days... He finally found his mattress and his pillow after we got lost in baggage. We have this whole uh, worker shortage, the airports, canceled flights. I mean, my guy was miserable, and he finally has it. He has a good day of rest. Maybe he comes in in that game two start, and he's feeling fresh. He's like, yeah, I'm ready to hit some dingers, and he hits a home run. Maybe we get that rough. I I, I, I know there's definitely a lot of sarcasm in what I just said, but I I'm not ready to give up. I mean, okay, I'm definitely ready to give up on him. <laughs> I don't want to take any more chances in the postseason, but I think there's something there. Now, last year in the postseason, he did in 11 at-bats only have one hit, and it was a, a two-run home run. So that's something. But the Giants did get, uh, they didn't get swept, I think, but they did lose in that opening division series last year. But... I mean, I don't know. They, there's there's a lot there. Obviously, against the left, against lefties, against um, who, who's 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 leading off uh, for the uh, Padres? Who's their pitcher? That's in a, Darvish. Yeah, Darvish. Silly me. Uh, Darvish. Alonso actually has a pretty good history against Darvish, but you could have you know Vogelback will be in that lineup. I don't think. I don't think you start Naquin. Over Canna, I know Naquin's a lefty, so you know they like to have him in in there against righties. But I mean, he just he's blown these last few weeks. I mean, Naquin's been an absolute zero in our lineup. He just went zero for four today after everyone else got a hit. Alvarez didn't get a hit, but he walked twice, and they were very good at bats. I think that's worth mentioning. Is he had very good at bats. He extended those at bats. He fell into early holes and wound up walking because I think they're still careful to pitch around him. So I think it's just another thing to consider. We probably you probably see Canna in there. I think he becomes more of a platoon type guy once once Marte comes back. But I I just don't like Naquin in there. But I mean, there, are there any other like lineup holes or other mysteries you want to talk about? Maybe we maybe we need to talk about this bullpen. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think the the one thing is just that it's it's <clears throat> deciding. If you're going to have Rafiatos or Alvarez, and we'll find out Friday morning. But a big thing I think that we saw this week is Taiwan Walker made a case to be in the rotation for the postseason. You're obviously not going to have to deal with that in a three game set in the wild card round. But if the Mets are to advance past the Padres, then you're going to have to think about against the Dodgers, especially if you're using two, maybe three guys. You're going to have to have another pitcher. And even in a longer series, too, you want to have at least four guys. Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco got to each start on Tuesday, doubleheader against the Nationals. And Carlos Carrasco didn't pitch bad, but he only went four innings. He let up a two-run home run to Riley Adams. And Carrasco looks tired. He looks really tired at this point in the year. 
He gave up a lot of hard contact to a very bad Nationals team yesterday. He did not pitch well his last outing out. And he's a guy who has thrown more innings this year than he has since 2018. So he's tired. And Carrasco is a guy who does have the postseason experience. I think he could make the roster as a reliever, but he's someone who I don't think at this point you can really trust to be in that rotation to give you quality innings, especially against a robust Dodgers team. So Taiwan Walker, he really finished this year strong. He finished, I believe, with a 349 ERA this year after a second half collapse last year. He did not collapse this second half. He had that one bad start against the Braves right after the trade deadline. And he's had a couple others that weren't amazing, but overall he's pitched very well for the Mets this year. And I think he's earned the right to be that number four guy in this rotation. And he's also a guy too, who he's more of a finesse pitcher. He's not a big power arm. And so I think that Walker is your best bet. And I know that you, Alex, wanted to talk about some bullpen pieces. Tyler McGill obviously was placed on the COVID IL coming into Wednesday night's game. Michael Gibbons was activated. So we might not see McGill depending on, I mean, he could be available Friday if he passes protocols. We don't know if he does have COVID, if there is no injury designation, meaning he was either a close contact with someone or he has COVID or he was sick to a degree. So we'll find out a little bit more, but McGill also didn't have a really great bout as a reliever. And and I give the guy a lot of credit. He battled a lot of injury this year. He started the season as a starting pitcher, and then he came back as a reliever. So there's a lot of, I mean, I'm sure he just didn't have an, he didn't really have enough time to kind of make that transition. And we saw it with David Peterson too. He is, I feel like he's been okay, but he's much better as a starter. So I give McGill credit. I think that next year he'll be back as a starting pitcher, but that's what's going on in Metsland for the bullpen. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the bullpen though, Alex. So, Yeah, I mean, obviously the bullpen's the hot topic. Who do you have in the bullpen? It's well-documented our failure to bring in an extra lefty reliever at the trade deadline. But, I mean, now's the time to talk about it. And first, before I get into that, I do want to mention Taiwan Walker one more time. I think when we, when, once we hit August, I think a lot of us fans, I know I was, lamenting the fact that, oh, here comes second half tie again. He had a... 6.98 ERA in August. It was definitely a rough month for him. It was his lowest innings total besides April, where he only pitched 19.1 innings, where pretty much every other month except for May, he was averaging like 30 innings. So, you know, August was bad. But then September, I think he had like maybe one not great start, and he had a 4.15 ERA, which is still respectable. And then obviously he just had a solid, you know, pitch into the fifth inning yesterday. It was only four and, and one-third innings, which is, is surprising because he had 10 strikeouts. But 10 strikeouts is still something. And so getting back to the bullpen, uh, I think Tywin Walker definitely gets left off the, the wild card roster. I don't think there's any room for experimenting right now. I think you want to have your best bullpen guys in in the bullpen. You probably roll 12 deep. Um, I think that most people will be doing that. So obviously you have your your Diaz closing. You have Ottavino in the eighth inning. Seventh inning will probably be Drew Smith or 
uh, Lugo, Lugo, no, actually, no, yeah, Lugo has that seventh inning, and then that sixth inning. If you have to go sixth inning, it's going to be either Michael Givens or Drew Smith, and I think they'd rather go Drew Smith. And you know what? Rob's whispering my whispering in my ear. I'm forgetting Trevor May, and you know what? Those are all really solid guys that I just named. That's I think that was six deep already, and I those are all guys I feel comfortable with. Uh, I think those are guys you have to have. Those are your locks. And then after that, I think you I think you want to have Trevor Williams. I think he's the guy who's used to going to being your long man. He's used to that role, and he could do it, and he's reliable. Although him pitching five innings today maybe leaves him off, uh, makes him unavailable for the wild card round now that I think about it. So maybe instead of Trevor Williams now, you have David Peterson on that wild card roster. But uh, I don't think you have Carrasco. I don't think you have Walker there because they have they've never come out of the bullpen like that before. They're not used to it. Um, let me check out the roster because right now I'm I'm kind of freezing up right now. So let me look at this depth chart. I believe Carrasco. I want to say that he has pitched out of the bullpen for Cleveland. He's not done it as a Met. I don't believe he did do it with Cleveland. Um, but yeah, you know I think that. The Mets do have, and it's a good thing because last year their pitching depth was so short, especially for the starting pitching, right? You had <clears throat> Jacob deGrom got hurt, and then Stroman was, Marcus Stroman was the anchor of that rotation. But at a lot of points in the season, they had kind of no one. I mean, Jordan Yamamoto was a guy who was like the last guy on their depth chart, and then he got hurt. You know, so they had to bring in Robert Stock and Jared Eichhoff and guys like that to just absorb some innings. Obviously, this year you have a better situation where Carrasco's here, he's healthy. You brought in Chris Bassett this past offseason. Taiwan Walker's here still. You have Tyler McGill, who came up last year and had some quality innings. But, yeah, you know, I, I think the bullpen will be a really interesting thing to see of how they decide to, to kind of – shake it out if you will um but i think that you'll probably see diaz Ottavino, may drew smith lugo michael gibbons joely rodriguez and then maybe one other guy so whether that's a uh, peterson or whether that's a carrasco uh i think that that's what we're gonna see i don't think you see carrasco personally i think they want to save i think you i don't think you see carrasco on the postseason roster until the championship series, maybe because you will have a, a stretch of a possible stretch of five straight games. And that's when you want to roll at least four deep and have like the extra guy just in case. Um, but he hasn't been great, but I think he will no matter what be in that dugout because he has so much, you know, the guys respect him. He has leadership. And I think there's definitely a case I'm team having Joely Rodriguez in the bullpen in the postseason right now. Uh, the Padres, like the Mets, don't hit lefties very well. And while you do have a Juan Soto in there, he hasn't exactly lit up the world. Now it's possible he suddenly ignites in the postseason because he's been there before and just mashes us. But he's just the one guy, and you don't have the the one batter left-handed specialist anymore. It's a three-batter minimum. Uh, but we've been seeing Joely Rodriguez go three-plus a lot of times, and he's really been pretty solid the last month. Um, the month, even more than that, I believe. I think there's a case for if uh, if Tommy Hunter is available to like maybe bring in. You could leave off Joely Rodriguez if you're if you're nervous about him, and bring in Tommy Hunter and just really load up. 
But I, I think you have Julie Rodriguez, and I think you have David Peterson in there too. I think he's, I think he's kind of proven himself. I think he's he's looked solid, and and the Mets like him. But after that, I really you know McGill, the experiment just it's done. It's not there. Uh, he's not you know maybe in the future, but I don't think there's enough time for him to fully transition into this role. And you you can't experiment with him any longer. Drew Smith had a really had a few really great clutch innings earlier in the series. Um, he looked pretty. I think he gave did he give up a home run against the Braves? Everyone gave up a home run against the Braves, so who knows? But I uh, I think all the controversy that we had about the bullpen now, as a 162 season kind of goes, I think it's sorted itself out. So there really shouldn't be much controversy going into the postseason now with whoever we roster. It, at this point, it's really just, do you want to have an extra guy and have David Peterson in there or Joely Rodriguez, one of those guys? Or do you go with, you know, having Terrence Gore in there and having the extra batter, which at this point they've used him so much. I think we still see Terrence Gore out there, especially if it's late in the game and you need to take out Vogel back and put him on there and just just get around the bases, you know. It's so advantageous to have him out there. So, I mean, not much controversy, right? I, I thought it would be more controversial, but I'm saying this now and I really – I think I'm arguing with myself. It's really like, do you have any strong opinions on this? Because otherwise I think that's settled. Sometimes we just need to talk things through, you know, we realize that in our minds, our minds play tricks on us, you know, and so this is now turned into NPR at 5 a.m. Sometimes our minds just play tricks on us and we just got to talk it out a little bit. But no, I mean, you know, it was a great season. <laughs> I thought we Alex over here still doing the NPR thing. <laughs> I, I, I was expecting like a dung and I just had a little clink. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, just to kind of finish this off a little bit, uh, we, we actually did a live event, uh, over the weekend at Climbing Wolf here in Dobbs Ferry in Westchester, Alex and myself and a friend of ours, uh, Puppy Smooth, Phil Estudo. So yeah, it was great. Um, basically we called the Mets game with the Mets game on big projector in the bar. And we had the microphone, and we had the music and mid-game events and everything like that. And so I think it came out really well, got a lot of positive feedback from folks, and it was a really good time and definitely something that I hope that we could do again. Obviously, the results weren't there. Jacob DeGrom led up the three home runs, and the Mets got swept that series. But, you know, just to see – I think the, the the thing for me that was very special was seeing a lot of people come out, decked out in their Mets gear – and being able to kind of celebrate a team that's just been so good this late in the season, which we just haven't seen in so long. And that's such a, a beautiful thing about being a Mets fan is that when they're good, it's just so special. And it's a feeling that's so unmatched because it's rare, you know, and hopefully it's not as rare going forward. Hopefully the Mets are great going forward. But Mets fans really seem to rally around the team, especially when they're doing well. And it's just that that feeling is really unmatched. So it was great to be around so many Mets fans and, Alex did a great job doing color commentary while I did the play-by-play, and we just had a we had a blast. Yeah, I mean, Rob, I, I'm so I was so impressed by you the way you handled that play-by-play. He, he, I mean, he had the game notes on him too. I don't even know where he got access to that. It was just really, it was really cool to see. He was very good at it. The person who did, uh, who covered most of the color commentary, as um, Rob's friend and, and now my friend, I think, 
um, at Puppy Smooth on Instagram. I mean, that guy was that guy was really really funny. Uh, he makes uh, like disco hip hop movie uh, music. Definitely check him out. Um, check me out um, at Seltzer Poppy across platforms: Twitter and Instagram. Rob is at RT Pearsall on Twitter. Also follow at Mets Legends on Instagram. But it was it was a really great time. I really hope that we could get maybe. I mean, I know we're so early in this, but I feel like we could get more more airtime with like other bars maybe like, i think we could really try to like advertise that it's so much fun uh climbing wolf was is such a perfect venue i really love that place in dobbs fair i can't talk about it high highly enough the owner or one of the co-owners chris you know he was telling us he definitely wants to do it again next year he was really psyched about it and that's one of the fun beautiful things about being a met fan is that um you know i think there's a lot of little brother mentality with some fans where they want to be the yankees but we'll never be the yankees and that's a, that's fine. The Yankees have existed for over a hundred years. They've existed since before integration. Um, people talk about twenty-seven rings. They talk about you know their history. Most of that took place before integration and before before ex- playoff expansion and before um, expansion of 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 the league. Uh, Roger Maris, you know, he hit those sixty-one home runs like in a in an expansion season. You know, there's like always so many wrinkles and holes you could find with those like old successful uh, Yankees teams. And, but no matter what they've, they, they're always going to exist, right? They're like bigger in hip hop because the Yankee hat, you know, they're just like more of like a cultural touchstone and the Mets aren't that, and they don't have to be, uh, we, we exist as a, as a loyal and dedicated community. I think, you know, you see a Yankee, I'm sure as a Yankee fan, you see another Yankee fan wearing a hat on the street and there's just another guy wearing a hat, you know, but Met fans anywhere where I've been, whether it's literally just in my local town, still in New York or in Portland, Oregon, or anywhere else where I've ever been, you see someone else wearing a Met hat and it's, Hey, let's go Mets, you know? And it, it's like a sign of comfort. It, it's a really cool thing because it's fine being the less popular team. It, it also means that the people who are the fans are going to kind of stick together more. And you'll always have those weird haters on the internet, but I really love the Mets community. Yeah, and, and 27 rings or bragging about how many titles you have is great. You know, I mean, fans should be passionate about who they like. They should be passionate about their team, right? But I think sometimes it could also be a little bit of a cop-out, right? It's it's a coping thing. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we have 27 rings, so, you know, this and that. But it's really not about the past, right? It's about what are you doing for me now, right? And I think that's the kind of mentality that the Mets – need to have or Mets fans need to have too, right? Where you need to celebrate what they're doing now. You know, if they're good now, it doesn't matter what they did in the 60 seasons prior. It doesn't matter they won in 69 or 86. We have 2022 to focus on. Next year we'll have 2023 to focus on. It's so it needs to be about what's what you're doing now, right? Cuz when you win in the past, people don't care. You know, after a certain amount of time it doesn't matter anymore, right? People know that the Braves are the incumbent World Series champs. But once the playoffs start and there's a new title that's crowned, no one cares that the Braves are the 20, 2021 champs, right? You want to – it's it's no one stays at the top forever. But you also have to remember that it's more important what's being done in the moment. And obviously that you can say about anything. I mean, in the moment, at some point, the Yankees were the ones that won. But the Yankees haven't won since 2009. You know, there's a whole generation of Yankee fans that have never seen them win. So we don't need to be concerned about the Yankees, 
we're concerned about the Mets. We root for the Mets. They don't have to be the more popular team. They are they're their own thing. The Mets and the Yankees don't even play in the same league. So it was always weird to me when people would compare the two teams. I don't really care what the Yankees do, truthfully, unless the Mets are playing them. Like the Braves are the more annoying team to me because we actually have to face them and what they do has consequences for us. But for the Yankees, I mean, it doesn't even really matter. Like I, it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, but the live event was so fun. And, um, you know, I think that definitely keep an eye out for that because we're going to try to do more of them and maybe not just ex- exclusively at climbing wolf. But I think even if we do other kind of events at other bars, whether it's watch parties or some sort of, trivia or whatever it is we'll be doing that and i think it's just cool to meet other mets fans and link up and celebrate the team that we all love so much um before we go we'll remember some guys obviously in a little while but sal Licata, man i mean you know not to end the episode on a damper at all but i just want to say like he's coming under a lot of fire right now because Back in June, on June first, he declared that the National League was over and that no one were catching them. No one was going to catch the Mets. And even if the Mets were to have won the division by a game or whatever it is, you just don't say that that early. You really don't say that until it's over. And I think every fan knows that. But Salicata declared the this the the NL East was over and the Mets were the the going to be the champs and no one was going to catch them. Catch them. And look what happened. The Mets didn't even finish. Didn't even finish in first place, so I mean they technically did. They tied with the Braves at the hundred one wins, but you know they they're in the wild card round. So Salicata is getting a lot of heat for that, and you know just just keep your mouth shut, man. I mean I don't know what you're thinking, you know like you it's embarrassing. I mean they had players on the Braves like Tyler Matzik that were calling him out, like oh we're actually the division champs. That's so embarrassing. That's the kind of little brother stuff that the Mets fans. And, and people in the Mets realm need to avoid like that stuff. You go out there, you do your business and you celebrate when you win. And that's it. You keep your mouth shut until then. And everybody knows that that's, that's fundamental stuff. I mean, it's part of that poison of New York media. It's, it's, I mean, it, it drives players out of town. I mean, look at Joey Gallo, you know, Joey Gallo suffered all these like mental health issues because of the, the increased microscope, you know, over him and his struggles. And, it just kind of like heightened all the struggles and made it worse. And I think that's in a way happening with Darren Ruff. You know, it's one thing if a fan gets upset, but it's another thing when you have, you know, the guys on the radio, your, your Dave Rothenberg's a psychopath and your Sal Licata's and other people just making like these bold predictions, these crazy predictions, especially on a, in, in baseball where you have a 162 game se- season where really you look at, the uh the season as a game of series is you know like the three game series or four game series is, um as opposed to just single games you know because it'd be foolish to make a huge opinion out of one game and that's kind of what media that's what radio is kind of built off of because obviously it's a product it's an entertainment business and it would be really boring it would be really boring if you're listening to your radio and they're saying yeah you know they lost but it was one game you know that. Like, and and they know that. And so it just really heightens things and makes things even worse. And I just think like New York media could be so toxic and, and poisonous and, and, you know, they feel the need to come out with these hot takes and it's just like, dude, don't do that. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like mentioning the no hitter in the dugout, like during the no hitter, you don't do that. I mean, it's insane. Uh, it's a whole season. Uh, I just remember feeling really icky about that one that happened. It made me feel moist, you know, like, like, like when you're in a cave and it's kind of like when you, when you, in a lake and you your foot touches the ground and it's not like that beach 
bottom that you're you're used to it's like it's like weirdly soft and like being an ooze um it, it just it, it didn't make me feel good I, I immediately felt jinxed it was like the bing bong stuff you know <laughs> gosh oh gosh um it's really hard and you know like the Mets you know we're building something and it and it's going to continue you know we've never been we're not going to be like that 120 lost team that we were um, ever again. We're not going. I don't think we're ever going to be a hundred lost team ever again. I don't think we're ever going to see us tank. We haven't, you know, as bad as the Mets have been in recent years. There's always been like at least enough of us because of the fact that we lived in there's a New York team to kind of keep us afloat and not sink under a hundred losses. It's just such an ugly number, and I, I I really hate the the tanking culture that you see in baseball. It's 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 really ugly. I mean, yeah, I mean, just a closing thought on that, but the Washington Nationals lost 107 games this year, which three years ago almost would have seemed unfathomable, right? Even losing, even after losing Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon, like for such a mighty team that gave the Mets fits over the years. I mean, you look at, you look at how, like their rivalry with the Braves this year was like how it was with the Nationals in 2015. I mean, I could not stand that Nationals team. Bryce Harper and even Scherzer was on that team and it's just like he dominated us. He no hit the Mets like the the last weekend of the se- of the se- of the regular season in 2015. But Anthony Rendon and Jason Worth, like all those guys just gave the Mets fits. So, you know, for them to 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 be where they are now is is sad. It's it's a little bit sad, you know. I mean, I don't feel bad for them cuz I still hate them. I mean, they're the lowly Nationals now, but we know how good they were. And to think even last year they had Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Max Scherzer, all these guys on their team, and now they're big players like Joey Manessis. You know, Patrick Corbin stinks. Steven Strasburg can't stay on the field. You know, they have some good prospects that they got back from Juan Soto, but the fact that they even traded Soto is just unreal. So I don't think that, you know, unless Steve Cohen, something unforeseen happens, there really would be no reason for the Mets to ever rebuild or for them to ever be that bad again. So, you know, but we're, we're in better times. Mets fans deserve it. They deserve to celebrate a postseason birth and they deserve to see a deep postseason run this year because Mets fans have been through a lot the last decade, but even the last, the, the greater part of three, four decades since they won in 86. I mean, they've only been back to the playoffs a handful of times since then. And there's been a lot of losing seasons. There's been a lot of bad contracts. There's been a lot of injuries. So the Mets deserve what they are right now. And they deserve to see a very good 100 win team play in the postseason this year. So, but Alex, you know what time it is. Let us remember some guys. Do you want to start? You want me to start? Uh, I'll start. I'll start. Um, So, Let's see. Remember some guys. Remember some guys. I loved Rod Barajas. When when did Rod Barajas play? 2009. 2000, 2010? Man, Rod Barajas, because I'm thinking catchers right now. Um, you know, I, I really, I spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, about Francisco Alvarez and what his ceiling could look like. Um, I feel like he has a floor of Wilson Ramos and um, a ceiling of, I don't want to say Mike Piazza, but like, you know, I'm not going to do that. But it's just like, just a really impossible to predict ceiling. But I think even a, a floor of Wilson Ramos, who had some, you know, he had an ugly last season with the Mets. He was such a bad catcher. But 
you know, some not a bad catcher, but it really just a, a quite a bit of uh, great quality seasons with the Phillies before that. Uh, but Rod Barajas, I thought he was just like such a joy to watch on the diamond um, because that 2010 team was really sucked. It really sucked. But you know what? Like that year, what did he do? He played in 99 games. He had an OPS plus of <laughs> 97. But you know what? I'll take that for a catcher. I'll take that for a catcher. He had an OPS of 731. Yeah, not 17 homers. I mean, our like Nito and and James McCann like can never. And I love and I love Nito. Um, I'll stay silent on James McCann. But I mean, you know, this was like a he was a solid guy, and that was a that was a, a kind of like a a decade of just like random random guys coming in and 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 being out. You know, I mean, that's kind of like what birthed the idea of um, Mets legends a little bit, just like so many guys, you know, uh, not a lot of consistency in, in those years, but, you know, spe- thinking of Mets catchers, these kind of flash in the pan guys. I, I really enjoyed Rod Barajas um, and a lot of those other Mets catchers that we had during the, during that time, like um, um, Molina, Benji Molina that we had, um, we had Dave, Brian Schneider, no, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you know, Rod Barajas, he, he's my guy. Would, would, do you have any memories of Rod Barajas? Did he have like any like key Mets moments, or is he just a guy that I remember? Barajas, I mean, you could check for me, but I believe Rod Barajas had a walk-off home run for the Mets at one point. I also saw a guy this season wearing a Rod Barajas black Mets shirt, like a jersey, and I want it. There you go. It's a walk-off home run in the ninth. Who was that against? We're checking right now. I remember that game too. Okay. We got a we got a we got a target we got a target commercial right now. Even if you scroll down, Alex, I should tell you. Okay, multi home run game. All right. Well, anyway, it happened. I remember it happened. I was like a freshman in high school at that point. I liked Rod Barajas. I was against the Giants. Sergio Romo against Sergio Romo. And that was the year the Giants won the World Series. That was their first of three. Um, that was, I mean, that's the last dynasty we've really seen in, in baseball. But, I mean, look at the players running out of the dugout in this clip. I mean, Jeff Frank Cor, I just saw running out of the dugout. And, I mean, those got th- that team was just full. Of, who's going to be in the scrum here? He's rounding third. Chip Hale, the third base coach at that point. The Mets are wearing the, the black uniforms at that point, too. You got Alex Cora was on that team. Angel Pagan. Gary Matthews, I believe. Frank Catalanato, yeah. Ike Davis. Henry Blanco. <laughs> I mean, Jason Bay, I see right there. So those Mets teams were, were not very good, but um, kind of nostalgic. Alex, how about you give me a year and I'll uh, pick a guy? I'm going to go 2001. Okay, all right. McKay Christensen. McKay Christensen. Let's double check that he was he was on the Mets that year. I believe it's MCK. Yeah, McKay Christensen. I believe he was on the 0-1 Mets. And I think he only pitched in like one or two games. Oh, okay. 0-2. Here, go to go to his baseball reference though. I wanna if he was on the he might I don't know if he was on the 0-1 Mets too or if he was just on the 0-2 Mets. He was just in the 0-2 Mets. Alright. Jeez, I was so overzealous. Two thousand one, in that case, um, I will say let's see, oh one. That Mets team was not bad. I'm going to say Jorge Toca. Jorge Toca, I believe, was on the 
was on the Mets, the TOCA. I believe he was on the 01 Mets. And we're getting a fact check here. Yep, 2001. 25 total games for the Mets. And zero home runs. Yeah, I remember Jorge Toca for whatever reason. I thought he was like such a stub when I was a kid. Because I think I had a lot of his baseball cards. But yeah, Jorge Toca was was not very good. Um, <laughs> this OPS plus of 45, Alex is saying. There, there's this one guy on eBay who has a Jorge Toca autograph card up that he's had on there for like a year and a half. And it just pisses me off so much because he's, he's asking like $16 for it. And like, I mean, if it's a card I like, I don't care. But like, I mean, for Jorge Toca, come on, dude, like knock down the price. Like that should be like a dollar autograph. So I want that card real bad, but that guy has, has been so firm on like charging $16 for it. So anyway, next time we see you guys, the Mets may be in the playoffs still, or they may not. We will keep you updated regardless. And Alex, you got any parting thoughts or anything, buddy? Uh, let's go Mets. I'm going to be there on Saturday. I'm really hoping that it's the uh, two-game sweep. Let's go. Let's go Mets. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mets Legends and on Instagram, Mets period Legends. We will see you guys next time, LFGM.